Hello and welcome to an EG Property Podcast from MIPIM 2023. This session covers the Invest City Focus Group, covering the areas of London, Manchester and the West Midlands. This panel is chaired by Samantha McClary, Head Editor at EG, and is joined by Eamon Boylan, Chief Executive of GMCA, Roger Clark, Chief Executive of IPSX, and finally, Richard Lawrence, Director of Regeneration, City of Wolverhampton Council. So next up on stage, we have our Invest City Focus session. So we're going to have three uh, amazing uh, presenters, four, sorry, can't count, four amazing presenters who will each do a 10 minute overview uh, showcasing uh, their cities. We have London, Manchester, uh, some UK city developments, and then uh, three cities in, in one, which will be a challenge in 10 minutes, but uh, um, here's, it's going to be really exciting. So for UK cities to be the engines of growth, opportunity and prosperity, there can be no more business as usual. Uh, be prepared now to, to listen in to the following presentations on how they are equipping the norm, enormous potential of people, culture, places and spaces. Uh, for each of our presenters, I will invite you up to the lectern here. You do your presentation, then please do sit back down on the purple chairs rather than up here on stage. I will invite you up at the end of all four presentations and we'll have a little Q&A session. Uh, but without further ado, please welcome to the lectern, Roger Clark. Uh, well, good morning, everyone, and thank you very much for having us here. Uh, I'm uh, CEO of IPSX, uh, and I'm going to talk about uh, London. Now, of course, London is uh, a city that everyone's very familiar with. By some measures, there's more than half of the value of all real estate in the UK is in London. Everybody knows London, so I'm not going to talk about everything. I'm going to focus in on the office sector. Um, but just to set the scene of why I think London's so important, 30% uh, of all of the tax that's paid in the UK is paid by companies based in London. Um, and uh, one sector in particular, which we're based in, we're a financial services company at IPSX, so we're very focused on the city. The city itself ha accounts for 7% of all employment in the UK, 8% of GDP, and 10% of all taxes paid. A really important sector, but of course, back in 2016, we had Brexit. What was Brexit gonna mean for London? What was Brexit gonna mean for the city? Well, it's potentially a disaster. Everyone assumes it's a disaster. Indeed, the city was completely left out of the uh, Brexit uh, deal that Boris Johnson did. And I think a lot of people since 2016 had assumed that this would be very bad news for, for London and for the city. And of course, they might be right. We've got the Edinburgh reforms coming now. That may turn things around. But more specifically, London offices. ESG is obviously on everyone's mind. Um, the very small number of offices which are already future-proofed is a worry. And increasingly, something I hear uh, office uh, practitioners concerned about. Um, but the occupational market remains strong. It's a really strange market. It's a market unlike I've ever seen, where the occupational market is strong, tenant demand is strong, there's competition for the best space, and yet values are falling. Values are falling 
mainly because of something I'll come on to talk about later. And development is difficult. Development is difficult, so take up uh, remains very strong. The key thing about London is the liquidity in the office market. It's still there. Even when it's hard to trade assets, there's always liquidity in London. This is important. It's important. It obviously attracts international capital disproportionately because of it. But we have all been talking for a few years now about the death of the office. I always thought this was slightly uh, premature, uh, verging on nonsense. And uh, Corporation of London figures show that uh, in the city, again, I said I'd talk a lot about the city, we're back to 85% of pre-lockdown footfall. People are going back to work, but corporate occupiers are changing what they want. We need to see offices now that are configured differently. There needs to be more collaborative space. There needs to be more reason to encourage your employees back to work. And that's focusing people's minds, not on having less real estate, but on having different, better types of real estate. And of course, the thing I haven't mentioned yet, which is vital to London, it's true uh, of all the cities you're going to hear about, but especially in London, we have a very innovative startup culture. Over 1,400 new businesses are started in London every year. And of course, they tend to need serviced offices. There's a boom in serviced office demand. As you can see here from one of the bullet points, it's back to 143% of pre-lockdown levels. It's a very thriving entrepreneurial culture still in London. Uh, something you wouldn't necessarily hear a lot about when political commentators talk, but it still is. And London adapts. London has always adapted. Even in the time I've been working, we've seen banking give way to insurance, give way to tech suppliers. Uh, now we, of course, have life sciences looking for space. London is always changing its offering, and there's always somebody that needs space in London. The last few years, I, meant, I said we'd come back to this. We've obviously dealt with COVID, as has everyone. Uh, last year it was rocked. This time last year, we obviously had the Ukrainian invasion. This was a problem. Nothing like as big a problem as we then had with Liz Truss's mini budget, though, which uh, by some measures, I heard someone say this morning that cost uh, the economy 200 billion pounds in one go. And yet London stays resilient and London offices continue to trade and change hands. Part of that is because, as I mentioned earlier, international cap a lot of international investors, rightly or wrongly, regard the London as the UK. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, one American opportunity fund <clears throat> where I was sitting in on an investment committee meeting and people were trying to uh, describe an office acquisition opportunity in Liverpool. And people just couldn't understand the description of Liverpool. They didn't understand it was Northern. They didn't understand the industrial heritage. And then someone said, it's a bit like Milwaukee. And everyone said, oh yeah, got it, got it, got it. That's, that's the lack of familiarity that a lot of international investors have. But London is changing. Uh, one of the things we're beginning to see is a drift away from uh, focus purely on CBD. It's not just about the city and West End now. In particular, we're seeing vibrant hubs grow up around uh, the transport nodes, around the stations, King's Cross, London Bridge, Victoria. Um, and it's a really tight occupational market. This is a you know, very interesting point at the bottom from JP Morgan that within a few years, at current trends, we're going to see 0% vacancy. That's obviously, in every way, 
good for investment values in London. The biggest risk, and I'm sure that all of us will say this today though, but the biggest risk is politics. We're gonna hear later today, uh, probably very few surprises, but political decisions affect London more than anything else. London continues to be, I'm amazed, it continues to be a global gateway city. And we know why that is. It's language, it's legal system, it's cultural amenities, education, medicine. And, you know, when I talk to people about who's moving to Paris, it's French people. Uh, Milan is thriving at the moment, but it's mostly Italians going home. It's still the place in Europe that most international people want to come and work before, whether they settle here long term or not. And the only thing I think that is a threat to that is political decisions. So that's why I think London remains a really vibrant investment opportunity. Thank you, Roger. Great pitch for, for London there. Zero percent vacancy. That's amazing. Um, OK, up next to uh, welcome back to the stage to pitch for Manchester. Eamon. Thank you. Uh, I'll now prove my complete idiocy by being unable to manage the slides. Good Lord, it worked. Um, I'm going to talk about Manchester. People will be astonished to hear. Um, and it's really, really interesting to hear the perspective we just had from London, because I think we're looking at a very, very different set of contexts in Manchester, but some things that I think uh, are comparable and complementary to, to the London offer. So just to say a few things. Um, Obviously, we're hoping that there will be a political decision today around the further devolution deal. In fact, we know that there will be, but I'm not allowed to talk about it, yada, yada, yada. Um, so, but it's the, it's the seventh of our devolution deals since 2015. Um, and part of those uh, deals have led to significant local budgetary control, not least over health and social care. I remember when George Osborne stood on the platform in Greater Manchester in uh, 2015 and said, you can have six billion pounds a year to run the health and social care system. We thought, great. And then we figured out it cost about seven and a quarter billion a year to run it. So we had a bit of a problem, uh, but one that we've, we've managed to, to, to work with colleagues to overcome. But we've seen significant devolution around skills, transport, business support, and public service reform. And we're hoping that today's announcement will take those, those further. Uh, my mayor has given me the generous challenge of taking 12 years off our zero carbon ambitions, so we're 12 years ahead of the country, on the basis that if everyone aims for 2050, the country as a whole will fail to hit 2050, so therefore we need to have more early movers, and that's something that we are working on. And we've got, we're going to reckon around a billion pounds worth of green development opportunities right now. Um, leveling up, I won't dwell on, it means many things to many people, but fundamentally there's a significant leveling up challenge within Manchester and within the north, not just between the north and the south. I think there's a real, real issue for us to make certain that whatever we're doing as a city is benefiting the citizens of the city, both now and in the future. Just some uh, key facts uh, and, and figures. One critical thing is the reality is it is cheaper to, to operate in Manchester than it is in, in London. Uh, that's not to say that that's a, a particular advantage, but it is a, rea a reality. We have seen significant growth. We have seen significant improvement in connectivity. I'd like to pretend that the train still connects 7.8 million people within an hour to Manchester. Many people who have tried to use the trains in the north of England in the last 12 months will know that's a bit of a factoid rather than a fact in its own right. Uh, but it is still a very, very well-connected city and a huge asset base in terms of our universities. We've got the largest number of undergraduates in any city outside London in, in, in the UK. 
and, and around 48% of them are now staying in Manchester. When I was a student, which was more than two years ago, uh, that, that number was about 15% remaining in Manchester. It's now up in the high 40s. So some of the things that we're, we're doing at the moment, we've created a public-private sector partnership with uh, uh, the universities and private sector interests called Innovation Greater Manchester. It's taking forward the Innovation Accelerator programme that the government has announced, but has as its heart the ambition to drive innovation right the way through the GM economy. It's not just about science and technology and R&D. It's about how we innovate right the way across the piece and drive innovation in our SME sectors. And just a few of the projects that are, that are prominent. Um, Atom Valley, um, I, I do confess I'm not the greatest fan of the title. It's got nothing to do with atoms and it isn't a valley, it's a hill. But uh, it's a really, really outstanding location where we are hoping to do what the British have never really done very well, which is innovate and invent and then act actually economically exploit the, uh, the, those assets. And this particularly is an area where we see significant opportunities for manufacture linked to advanced manufacture, advanced materials, two-dimensional materials such as graphene and the many, many others that have, that have followed out of the university's laboratories. It is a real academic and industrial collaboration. Uh, similarly, at Salford, built around the BBC relocation, as a very, very significant innovation triangle focused around the tech sector uh, and one that's growing very fast and one that's generating significant jobs and significant opportunities, both for people with university skills, but also for people coming through our revised vocational education system, where actually an awful lot of people can come from zero qualification to the necessary abilities to work in the tech sector very, very quickly through the use of boot camps and such like, which we are pioneering right the way across the city region. Um, dear to my heart, Stockport Mayoral Zone, who on earth would be mad enough to try and build a bus station with a park on top and then put a block of apartments on top of that? Well, me, that's who it is. Uh, but this is at the heart of Stockport Town Centre. Many of you will know Stockport. It's the last stop on the train before you get to Manchester. Uh, when I was there, we looked out of the window. You're an hour and three quarters from London. You're 15 minutes from Manchester. You're 20 minutes from the airport. Absolutely no grade A space whatsoever. It was a bit of a no-brainer, but it took an extended uh, length of risk by the public sector to drive private sector investment into regenerating the centre of Stockport. And this is the latest in the, uh, the major project that's coming forward here, right in the heart of the, of the city, uh, of, of the town centre. And very much central to our ambition is transport. Um, we own and operate the Metrolink system, uh, which is our, our pride and joy, but we're also the first authority in the country to take forward the powers available to us under the Bus Services Act to, to, to franchise buses. Uh, that sounds terribly boring, and I never thought I'd be standing on a platform talking about buses in all my born days, but outside London, we have no integrated transport system in the UK, not one, anywhere. So the reason that we're doing this is to try and make certain that we can have a transport network that's actually geared to and serving the needs of our population and serving the needs of our businesses in a way that currently it does not. And I think that's something that's worth the investment. It's hugely expensive to do, but it's well worth it in the long run, we believe. Um, just a few accolades, um, prizes that we've won. Some of them were a great deal, were a great surprise to us, to be perfectly honest. Uh, to be voted by Condé Nast the best place to visit in the UK in 2023. I must admit, I was a bit bowled over by that, particularly when they were highlighting the fact that the visitor attraction is a building that isn't even open yet. But uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting place for us to be. But I think you can see we are increasingly gaining profile as recognised internationally. And going back to the point you were making about the legibility of cities outside London on a global stage, that's really, really important. And that's why we'll continue to push. So that's me. Thank you very much.
you, Eamon. Another very good pitch there. I have to stand on my tippy toes because I'm too short. Uh, uh, next up, our, our, our final uh, invest pitch of this morning, three cities in, in one. Please welcome to the stage, Richard Lawrence. Morning, everybody. Um, so unlike the previous uh, speakers, I've got three cities, 10 minutes. Um, I've got uh, millions of slides, um, so I'm going to race through. So, so, so bear with me on this one. But uh, um, I'm Richard Lawrence, Director of Regeneration of the City of Wolverhampton Council. But I'm here on behalf of the three cities, Birmingham, Coventry and, uh, and Wolverhampton. It's a unique collaboration uh, between those three cities working together to make our city is great and a great place to live, uh, work and play. Combined GVA of 43 billion, uh, population 1.8 million, uh, three cities seek to connect our complementary strengths and to combine our rich assets. Um, collaboration was formed in 2021 and since then we've been working to identify programmes of activity. Uh, these uh, are based around decarbonisation uh, and the route to net zero, um, as well as culture, art, sports, digital connectivity and city mobility. Yesterday, each of the three cities was recognised by the um, FDI Intelligence European Cities and Regions and the future FDI Strategy Awards, demonstrating the attractiveness of our inward investment offer uh, individually. Seems weird, me talking about Birmingham, but um, sitting at the heart of our three cities region, Birmingham is, is home to a young and uh, uniquely global and uh, multicultural population. As the UK's second largest city with a world-class hub, of culture and contemporary living, uh, Birmingham is really beginning to demonstrate that it is an excellent choice for business and investment. Uh, the heart of which is the major uh, central transport hub and arguably Birmingham sits as the best connected regional city in the UK. Birmingham's position at the centre of the £50 billion HS2 rail link, uh, as demonstrated here with the proposed Curzon station, um, located within the city centre, will further enhance that reputation with connection to London in just 38 minutes. The city of Birmingham is constantly evolving, has really ramped up in the last 10 years where the city council has gone through a billion pounds worth of enterprise uh, zone programme uh, investment, um, providing high quality public realm, enhanced connectivity, covering new uh, uh, walking routes and metro connections, as well as office development, as seen here in Centenary Square. The Paradise development delivered by the City Council in partnership with uh, MEPC marks the latest chapter in Birmingham's renewal. It's a place rich in heritage um, and now a major office destination for the city. This high quality office space, flexible, collaborative and sustainable, um, which is very competitive, currently half the cost of that space equivalent in London. So the city is now a major business centre with genuine credibility. Uh, global names like Goldman Sachs, HSBC UK, Deutsche Bank, uh, Lloyds and the Big Four are all now based in the city centre of Birmingham. And uh, last year, as I'm sure everyone will know, was a phenomenal success um, for the city and, and commenced a golden decade of opportunity for Birmingham and the wider West Midlands as the Commonwealth Games catapulted the city and the wider region into the global stage. Uh, with the eyes of the world watching to see whether the city undergoing significant regeneration could deliver, well, we did, and I think it was very much for everyone to see. 
and over 5 million people uh, visited throughout the games, but success will not just be attributed to the duration um, of the competition alone, but will also be reflected in its legacy across the West Midlands region and the ability to attract inward investment, more tourists uh, and that global reputation. You still with me? So on, on to Coventry. Um, Coventry is is bursting with historical roots in innovation. Um, the modern bicycle traces its roots back to the Starley Rover, um, the safety cycle, which was the forerunner of the Land Rover brand. The idea for Frank Whittle's first prototype jet engines were also developed in Coventry. People will know that the city is, is uh, positioning itself um, on the, the battery technology and, and the West Midlands Gigafactory is now at the forefront of the future mobility and the green industrial revolution. Highest concentrations of transport technology, design, engineering and manufacturers are based here in Coventry and bringing forward the UK's largest Gigafactory on the site of the Coventry Airport. So what you did see, very briefly, was the, the Coventry Very Light Rail um, system. So developing new ways of connecting communities. It's, it's uh, battery powered, zero emissions, um, picking up the, 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 the low cost and, and, and the sector development around battery technology, um, zero emissions. And demonstrator for the uh, light rail is planned for 2024. So Frygate Development, a uh, new emerging business district for the city centre of, of Coventry adjacent to the, the railway station, to Frygate due for completion in, in April 23 and Hotel Indigo due for completion uh, later this year in the autumn. Uh, further opportunities around offices, residential, retail and leisure uh, are in the Frygate uh, award-winning development um, adjacent to the, the, the station which sits on the West Coast mainline. And there's further development around the city centre south uh, of Coventry. So residential-led uh, mixed-use development in the heart of the city, up to 1,300 new homes, um, delivered in phases from 2024 by the Shearer Property Group um, and a JV between the, the, the Hill Group and Shearer. Uh, 69,000 square metres, um, total of site, circa £450 million worth of GDB. And the Wave is a rapidly changing uh, leisure destination, enhanced food and drink offer, uh, and attractions such as the Wave, the Cathedral, uh, the Belgrade Theatre, and Coombe Valley position Coventry um, really well on the back of the, the city of, of culture. And a new destination management organisation will further drive business and uh, visitor tourism. So this is a little bit more of my specialised subject and also conscious of, of, of time. So just picking up on the city of Wolverhampton, um, the, the, the image there is a School of the Architecture and Built Environment at the University of Wolverhampton Springfield campus, um, leading the way in smart specialism hub in the region. Stunning piece of architecture. If anyone wants to come and see it, be more than happy to take people around. Um, it's the site of the former Springfield Brewery um, and is the home of the, the, the School of Architecture and, and Built Environment um, as Wolverhampton leads its way now on sustainable construction, creating new jobs and high value manufacturing in green economies, digital innovation and research. As part of the Springfield campus, the new National Brownfield Institute, which was opened September um, last year, is world-class research base in the university, home to a team of specialist researchers, um, consultants and industry experts who will advise on all aspects of brownfield land remediation um, and redevelopment. Uh, the facility will provide 
um, modern methods of building uh, and support innovation and partnership working, unlock it, focusing on unlocking brownfield sites, of which we have many, not only in the uh, in the city of Wolverhampton, but the wider Black Country and West Midlands region, uh, and bring forward development for sustainable and affordable housing. Furthermore, the £10 million Modern Methods of Construction Task Force um, is to be based in Wolverhampton as part of DLUC and, and their facility, which will help drive uh, this agenda forward. Talking of which, uh, the award-winning I-9 building um, uh, next to the £150 million interchange uh, transport hub uh, is a £16 million speculative development that we at the City Wolverhampton Council um, undertook. It was fully let uh, before completion in the middle of pandemic, um, evidence indeed that the appetite um, is there for commercial speculative development. Uh, and furthermore, we are now taking forward the adjacent site, Interchange 8, for further commercial activity. So the I-9 building is the second HQ for DLUC, um, and it's great that ministers have an office in Wolverhampton, um, and it's an uh, enviable opportunity to engage with national government for us and develop stronger partnerships. The move of DLUC to the city of Wolverhampton has seen over 300 jobs created um, and the vast majority being local people. As mentioned before, the Interchange 8 uh, is the opportunity to develop the uh, interchange offer adjacent to I-9 um, together with a 153 key um, hotel offer um, which will capture the latent demand in the city uh, and also for, for new high quality hotel accommodation. Uh, Interchange 8 will be uh, just over 77,000 square foot of commercial office space um, and will see well over £900 um, million pounds in GVA uh, and the enviable delivery of the brownfield site of just under uh, a hectare. One of our jewels is, um, and one of the projects that has put many a grey hair on my head, is the is the halls in Wolverhampton, the former Civic Halls, um, opening in June this year. AEG Global Leaders um, are, are opening first of June, um, bringing this uh, this state of the art facility back into back into use uh, and really accelerating our evening economy and part of our wider cultural offer. It's set to bring circa ten million pounds to the economy every year and an estimated 300,000 visitors alone annually. And building on the recent successes of the Springfield campus, um, 120 million pound project uh, is our green innovation corridor, um, which is around 120,000 square foot of commercial innovation space adjacent to the, um, the School of Architecture and Built Environment that you can see uh, on, on the slide there. It was part of our leveling up round two bid um, and we're working very closely with um, with both the, the combined authority, um, DLUC and uh, and the private sector to bring forward uh, the, the Green Innovation Corridor, uh, building on the success of the School of Architecture and Built Environment and the whole green innovation. I'll pause for breath there. Hopefully I've done it within the time and just a bit of a flavour of what's going on in the three cities of uh, the West Midlands. Thank you for your time. Very well done. Three with three three cities there. Don't go too far because Richard, I'm going to invite you back up on stage to take a seat um, with Eamon and Roger. And we're going to have a little bit of Q and A. So Eamon, Roger, please join me up on stage. 
A uh, little round of applause for these three gents for, for pitching for their cities. Thank you very much. Well, well done. Um, I'm going to throw out first to the audience. You know, you have uh, three, three um, leaders here who have done very good pitches for London, uh, Greater Manchester and for uh, Birmingham Coventry and Wolverhampton all in one. Any questions that you want to ask about the pitches that you've just heard? Otherwise, I will take the stage and ask those questions. But don't be shy. Or do be shy, it's fine. I know it's still early. Um, so let, let's, sorry, I know I'm too, ah, there was a question, sorry. Hi, um, I think following um, Manchester recently, I think the, the, ch the changes you've made to the transport system to make it more akin to Transport for London, with one ticket price for one individual, one journey, depending on whichever they were using, it's been fascinating. To what extent in the West Midlands and other cities is there any appetite to follow? I mean, because every city presumably is jealous of London, is now looking at what happens with Manchester. Is it something that will be on other cities' agenda, do you think? Richard. Wow. Um, I think certainly all, all three areas are have similarities. And I think all areas are uniquely different as well within that. And, and the makeup, certainly, of the public transport network um, is, is, is very different between uh, Manchester, London, the West Midlands. Um, and I think it's fair to say that uh, London has a bit more of an enviable position. I think uh, Greater Manchester is, is much more advanced. Um, we're still rolling out the, uh, the, the metro network in the West Midlands. So... Um, We'll have the, the the tram system coming to the city of Wolverhampton in the next next couple of months. So uh, I think that everyone looks to see what the best model is and how we get um, the, the best value for the, for the consumer, but also how that can support the wider activity for 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 redevelopment and, and regeneration. So um, is is there the opportunity to be similar and, and to take advantage of what's happened elsewhere? Absolutely. And I know that the combined authorities are talking to each other, and uh, um, uh, uh, TFWM and, uh, and 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 the equivalent in, in Greater Manchester are are always in conversation as our as our TFL. So, never say never. Never say never. Um, let Let's stick with stick with that idea. And I just wonder um, whether infrastructure having having something. Um, like the network that was just described there is is one of the things that perhaps stands in the way of our our regional cities um, grasping those opportunities and, and whether there's anything else that there was um, amazing pitches and I wonder why we don't why we don't see more why we don't hear more of that so what are some of the the little things that stand in the way Eamon? Um the little thing that stands in the way around infrastructure is mainly money <laughs> um, but uh, I think if we are locked into a debate about how we re-energise our major cities based around new infrastructure, then we'll still be having the same debate in a decade. We need to think about how we exploit the infrastructure that we've already got more effectively and better, and that's why bus franchising is so important to us, uh, because we will not be able to build Metrolink everywhere, despite the fact that everyone wants me to build Metrolink everywhere tomorrow, um, but uh, it's, it's just not, not deliverable. Uh, and. Also, what we need to think about is how we can develop flexibility around infrastructure as well. I mean, the one thing about fixed rail is sort of it's sort of revealed in the title. 
it's fixed. <laughs> it's very, very inflexible. Um, if you build it in the right place, to the right, from the right place to the right place, then it's fine. Um, but you know, unglamorous things like buses, unglamorous things like uh, to, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 mobility as a service are really the future for us as we try and uh, make certain that we're exploiting our existing infrastructure effectively and enabling growth in a sustainable way. And when we talk about infrastructure, I, I suppose some people, um, or we focus too much on rail and, and buses, and, and there's many of our regional cities that have um, blue infrastructure as well, don't they? How, is, is that a, an opportunity or a, a barrier for, for cities? I think it's a very much underexploited opportunity, to be perfectly honest. I remember when I arrived in Manchester as a student, a very ivy-covered professor gave an introductory lecture, and he said, there are more canals in Manchester than there are in Venice. In Venice, and Manchester is often called Venice of the, of, of, the, of the north, but I think seldom Venice is the Manchester of the south, which <laughs> I thought was quite an interesting. Obviously, a line he'd rehearsed many, many times before, but it amused a lot of students who just arrived, they didn't know which way up the world was. Uh, but we don't exploit our blue infrastructure at all, uh, to, to any extent. Uh, we have a very extensive canal network throughout Greater Manchester, Birmingham has the same. Uh, but it's, it's a forgotten asset. And we, we built our cities with, our, with their backs to the rivers and their backs to the canals. And we're starting now to turn them around, starting around to revitalise, reopen those, those, those waterways. And I think they are a key to, again, sustainable travel. And also a key to providing people with the opportunity to, to exercise, to achieve health and well-being in, in a way that currently we, 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 we're not, not achieving. Yeah. Richard, anything to add? Yeah, I, I think that Eamon's absolutely right. And uh, uh, one of the things that we have seen is that very much building um, on the back of, of, of the canal. So you, you, you don't get the value of them, but actually they link um, not only key parts of, of the city, but they link the cities as well. And, uh, you know, as part of being uh, a recreational uh, opportunity, um, certainly in, in, in our neck of the woods, it's the opportunity to link key uh, either development sites um, or key commercial sites. Um, so absolutely under underutilised um, and a real opportunity to, to, to bring forward and, and to work around that, that whole blue that whole blue network as part of the green network. Mm, fantastic. Um, Roger, I want to come to you because it was very much a, um, you know, L London, London versus the regions there. And the regions did a great, like the pictures, no, no, I'm sorry, Amy. Um, but there were some really amazing um, pictures from, from our regional cities. I love seeing all the, all the imagery, um, imagery there. London's had a tough, tough time, hasn't it? So is, does London, can London learn from our regional cities as well as giving, giving something back to, to them? Well, I just want to start by saying that, contrary to what my brief was today, I don't think in terms of London versus the, the regions at all. Um, I think what, what, one thing, just listening to the answers about infrastructure that I think is interesting about uh, London, and I speak more as a resident than as a town planner, is that uh, our creaking infrastructure isn't as good as you might think. And in some ways, I, I think it would be quite an opportunity to be able to build new infrastructure rather than have to constantly try to fix Victorian infrastructure. Um, what would I say about levelling up? Uh, I, 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 I guess I deliberately talked a lot about the city in my the financial services industry in um, in my presentation because leveling up is obviously all good. There's nobody would sensibly argue against it. I just don't think it should be at the expense of London. Leveling up is leveling up, 
It's not at the expense of London. Um, and I fear that obviously politics is politics. It doesn't feel like that in the rhetoric at times. Um, so that's, that's my only thought on that. I mean, if I could just really reinforce the fact that if we ever allow the levelling up agenda to become a London versus the rest agenda, then we're lost. If London is not economically, globally successful and competitive, then the UK as an economy is dead. And we have to recognise that. So the success of London is as important to me as the success of Greater Manchester. So for me, levelling up is not about redistribution. It's about creating the conditions in those underperforming regions so that it can actually thrive and bring themselves up to the level of productivity that we see in London and the South East. It's not impossible. We have the academic institutions to do it. We have the industrial capacity to do it. We just haven't got the strategy, the long-term plan to do it. Uh, and that, to me, is about levelling up. It's not about interfering with deprivation where you find it. It can't be. Uh, so I think London's success is absolutely fundamental to the success of the UK PLC and to all of the, all of the cities outside London. Stephen, in agreement there? Abs absolutely. And uh, I was at uh, an event yesterday afternoon where the, the, the leaders from the regions all came together and said just exactly that. This isn't about London versus uh, the, other we the other regions. This is about collectively uh, building on the strengths of the different regions to make um, UK much more globally competitive. So um, I, I think that the and, and not to get into the political dimension of it, but you know, it's clearly a political agenda. Um, what does it mean and, and uh, what are the opportunities around it? Um, we'll probably hear a little bit more today um, coming out of the coming out of the Chancellor's um, speech. But levelling up is is, um, is is an interesting interesting concept. Um, and I think that you know, you know rather than it be a southeast versus the rest of the uk um, what does it actually mean for the individual regions themselves and is it actually leveling up um but wolverhampton was one of the three pathfinders um announced by by the government uh, together with sheffield and blackpool um if i'm being very very honest that hasn't really put us in any kind of different situation to what we were beforehand uh but what we are doing is continuing to deliver uh, our agenda as part of the wider regional piece which fits into the wider UK piece. Fantastic and I, I'm going to probably over the course of the next couple of days bang on about narrative quite quite a lot and we've talked there I got it wrong by saying London versus the city um, versus the cities but what's the narrative if we're talking about cities and that being the city of London whether it's Manchester, Coventry, uh, Wolverhampton, Birmingham what's What's the theme that we need to talk about as a collective to make sure that that investment comes in, that the, the politics understands the, the role that our cities together have to play in, in um, making the UK great again, I suppose? Well, I, I think in terms of um, uh, the, and I don't want to, I don't want to mention Brexit, uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to mention Brexit, but I think it, and it's more than Brexit. I think even before that, we were beginning to see just uh, you know, the, the UK, and I won't say London, the UK, UK's strength over centuries has been its openness, openness to ideas, openness. We're, we're, we're a country of immigrants. And I fear that the, the one narrative that affects all of our cities and affects the UK is it doesn't feel like we're a particularly open country at the moment and that that will harm us that's the the, the thing i'd like to see change more than anything wouldn't disagree with a word of that but i think there's something else as well that we just need to be conscious of and i'll probably get the title of it wrong but the film that won all the oscars everything everywhere all at once 
that sort of feels a little bit like successive governments' economic strategies, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. And it can't work. It simply cannot work. And I'm not pretending that we therefore prioritise cities at the expense of other places. But a successful northwest of England will never, ever happen if Manchester and Liverpool are not economically thriving and successful. Because they've got the institutions, they've got the capability, they've got the capacity to drive an agglomeration economy that, n that nowhere else in, the, in, in that part of the north of England has. Equally the same is true in Yorkshire with Leeds and Sheffield and in, in the northeast Newcastle and Gateshead. So we have to make certain that we understand what the priorities are, what the investment uh, uh, um, um, uh, policies are that are needed in order to make certain that our cities thrive. Because if they don't, then they're hinterlands. And I, I know people hate the word hinterland if you happen to live in somewhere like Preston. But uh, it's, it, it's just an economic reality. that we have, to, And we, we can't afford to duck it. We need to be very, very clear, therefore, that cities have got to have a primary place in economic thinking. Thank you very much. Richard. Again, wouldn't disagree with, with anything that, that, that's been said. But one thing that has been quite apparent um, in, in conversations I've, I've had recently is that whole thing around reputation. There is, as a UK, I think we have a, we have a bit of a damaged reputation at the moment because of what's happening externally and, uh, and certainly external investors' view of the UK and the UK uh, economy at the moment. Now, whether that's, whether that's uh, Brexit, whether that's the political um, uh, situation we found ourselves in the past 12 to 18 months, it has damaged uh, our reputation. Um, you flip that and you look at what's going on across the UK. You see what's going on in, in, in some of the key cities. It's so exciting and the opportunity is there. And it's that real difficult dichotomy between the ability to do more and the opportunity that the cities working together can provide, but also balancing the fact that we've got a bit of damage limitation as UK PLC that, that, that we need to get through and get across. We've got, what was it, 200 billion pounds of damage limitation thanks to uh, Liz Truss um, uh, and, uh, and those stats you gave us, uh, Roger. Um, one last throw out to the audience in case there's any questions, otherwise I will wrap us up. Hello. Could you, could you each tell us, just very with broad strokes, what the key real estate investment opportunities are in each of your cities? Everyone's looking at me. I, 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 cert I certainly can, um, and, and certainly can for, for Wolverhampton. I think that it's probably best to have a, a, a further conversation with colleagues from Coventry and Birmingham um, separately to say this is where, where the opportunity lies, lies there. Um, that was hopefully well dodged, but quite happy to have a separate conversation. <laughs> It's not Wolverhampton versus Coventry and Birmingham. That's, that's absolutely, not, absolutely not. Otherwise, uh, otherwise <laughs> it wouldn't have been me here. Um, but equally, and this isn't the first time that, uh, from a three-city perspective, that one of the cities is spoken on behalf of the other two. Uh, and I think that just goes to show the maturity of of, of the, the the three cities of the West Midlands uh, and the power and the scale that, that can bring with regards to investment opportunities, as well as the um, the complementary. Uh, sector growth, be it um, battery uh, technology in, in Coventry, be it green innovation within the built environment in Wolverhampton, or be life sciences in Birmingham. They are absolutely all complement each other. Amen. I could give you a very long list, um, <laughs> but just a, a few um, illustrations. Um, as recently as 20 years ago, you counted the number of people living in the city centre in Manchester in the hundreds. It's now 70,000. 
and growing exponentially and continuing to grow. And we've really got real appetite for further growth as well. Uh, and as you probably noticed, we're not averse to going high in order to, uh, uh, to, to achieve our, our ambitions. Another opportunity that I would highlight that I didn't mention earlier on, the University of Manchester is bringing forward what's called an innovation district on the site of the former UMIST campus right in the centre of the city next to, next to Piccadilly Station. Um, and that will be a massive opportunity to invest in commercial space in, in, uh, uh, and in uh, uh, laboratory space and such like. The City of Manchester has published a master plan for the whole Piccadilly area, uh, which is in danger of being slightly damaged by a 60-foot high viaduct carrying a train out of a tunnel into a station that's designed the wrong way around. But, you know, apart from that, it's fine. Um, but there's a huge and ambitious master plan in, in those areas. Victorian North and the north of the city, uh, 15,000 homes planned over the next five years. Airport City, huge opportunity for commercial investment in and around the, the expanding airport. So the list list goes on. There's plenty. to come out. By all means, please contact Joe Manning at Midas. He'll be happy to take you through every, every single opportunity that we can identify. And also for you to tell us where you think the real opportunities might be. Roger? Um, let, let me give a, a, a quick high-level answer. I, I think it's interesting that it, probably more, more so than at any time in my career, we, we see institutions and private equity investors becoming more and more thematic. Blackstone likes logistics. Let's buy 20 billion of it. Um, and I think that actually it's a stock picker's market more than I can remember. Some retail is very good, some is not. Some offices are very good, so, some are going to be stranded assets. Uh, I think we should probably see the, the return of the opportunistic investor. But I would say, um, I'll get back to the office theme. Uh, you know, in, in London, I think we're beginning to see a very rapid bifurcation between. Uh, future-proofed assets, which are going to just get more and more valuable, and those which aren't. And I think it's the former that is probably, you know, at the moment, I think investors, and certainly when you look at the listed space, the REIT, the REIT sector, you look at the London specialists, I think their discounts are just wrong. Um, uh, and so I think very high-quality high London offices are still, probably always have been, are still uh, uh, un under-invested, uh, under I think. Thank you. And I can do the EG pitch. If you want to see uh, investment opportunities across across the UK, do pick up a UK Cities, guys. There's a whole playbook in, in the back of there to, to pick those up. Um, continuing with the EG um, pitch, we'll also be, over the course of this year, um, gathering um, in cities around the, the country, hosting a series of EG roundtables where we'll be talking about those investment opportunities, bringing people together to do those. So if you're interested in those, please come and see uh, me or any of, of my team, and we can talk you through those. But that just leaves me to say thank you so much for the pitches and uh, thank you so much for the conversation to uh, Roger, Eamon and Richard.